Open your Bibles to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 2. This is going to be fun tonight. Um, now, this coming Sunday, uh, we're going to have Chuck Harding is going to be here, and you do not want to miss that. Along with, we're going to be honoring our graduates, and so that's going to be a really fun service. And uh, if you've not seen Brother Harding, I talked to Brother Harding today, and he had just come out of Mike Pence's uh, Bible study. And so he's been invited every week to Mike Pence's Bible study. There's about 20 people there at the White or at the at the uh, um, executive office building, which is right next to the White House. And he was just in the Bible study with uh, Mike Pence today. That's that's who we have. And I said, um, can you tell Mike Pence next time you see him, my taxes are too high, and there are some potholes in the road that I want him to care for. And he said, I'll get right on that. I'll be sure and tell him. But uh, so Brother Harding is going to be with us on Sunday. You don't want to miss it, and it's going to be a great day. All right, Zechariah. I guess it would be good if I'd open my Bible to Zechariah, chapter 2. Um, so we are going to get to this vision in Zechariah, chapter 2, not this coming Sunday because Brother Harding is here, but the following Sunday. But I want to talk with you tonight about the three Jerusalems in the Bible, the three Jerusalems in the Bible. And you're going to see a couple of things that are going on. So Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 1, I lifted up mine eyes again and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. So what's he going to measure? We would use a measuring tape, but they would use a line or a rope. Then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said unto me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof and what is the length thereof. And look down at verse 4. And said unto him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited, now look at this, as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about and will be the glory in the midst of her. So what we have in this text, and we're going to actually preach this vision again a week from Sunday, Lord willing, but what's happening in this text here is this is the millennial Jerusalem. This is not the physical Jerusalem that's there. What's being prophesied here is the millennial Jerusalem. How do I know that? Look at verse 4, the end of the verse. It says, as towns without walls, towns without walls. Look at Nehemiah. Keep your place in Zechariah, but go to Nehemiah. Chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1, and look at verse 3. So this is, Nehemiah has gotten a report, and it says, and they said, so Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3, and they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And what is he mourning about? There's no walls. There's no walls in Jerusalem. Um, I'm sure that we will look at the passage in Proverbs. Uh, 
uh, when I preach the text where it says that a man who has no control over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. The reason it was important for Jerusalem to have walls is those walls would keep the enemy out. Hmm. Build that wall. That was the cry of Nehemiah. He wanted to make Jerusalem great again. So he went and he started building the walls. And remember, he said, I'll not come down off the wall. So they fought with a trowel and, or they, they built with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. Sanballat and Tobiah come and they're going to try and stop them from building the wall. So when they went back to Jerusalem, they built the walls and then they built the temple and they, they finished the work and Jerusalem was completed. Now, the walls, if you go to Jerusalem today, there are, there's a wall. It's a walled city, but those aren't the walls that Nehemiah built. They're the walls that the Crusaders built because the walls that Nehemiah built, they were torn down. They were destroyed in 70 A.D. by Titus, the German, uh, or the German, the Roman general. And so I've been reading about Germany in World War II all week, and so it's just in my head. So getting ready for the new Shaken series that we're going to be doing. But um, one of the things that is important is to see that the, that the Jerusalem that's being spoken of in Nehemiah, that was a city and the walls were rebuilt. So God has told Zechariah and Haggai, remember, they're 16 years later than when Nehemiah went back and the, the, the city hadn't been built. They had stopped the work. The temple hadn't been built. And they're encouraging them. Haggai is preaching at them, get back to work. Zechariah starts about six months later, and he's preaching at them to continue the work. But Zechariah deals not only with the rebuilding of Jerusalem that would be contemporary to the writing, but also the future Jerusalem that would be yet to come. So look at, uh, so this here, Nehemiah, he's upset because the walls aren't built. Go to uh, Ezekiel chapter 38. Ezekiel. Chapter 38, look at verse 10. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall also come to pass that at the same time shall things come into my mind and thou shalt think an evil thought and thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls or having neither bars nor gates, to take spoil and to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. And he goes on to talk about it. So if Israel didn't, or I'm sorry, if Jerusalem didn't have walls, they could be spoiled. And yet in Zechariah, if you'll go back to Zechariah 2, in Zechariah, he's saying that they're going to dwell as a city without walls, without walls. It's going to be a, a place of freedom. Verse 5, for I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about and will be the glory in the midst of her. Now, I've been to Jerusalem and God is not a fire that's round about the city of Jerusalem right now. That's not what's happening in Jerusalem. 
And if you'll look at, um, go with me to Jeremiah chapter 31. And look at verse 38. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the city shall be built to the Lord from the tower of Hananiel unto the gate of the corner. And the measuring line shall yet go forth over against it upon the hill Gareb and shall compass about to Gohath. Now, for us, this doesn't mean a whole lot. So what's this? these are the dimensions of the millennial temple. Um, and it's important that we understand that the city right now, if you go to the old city of Jerusalem, it's actually very small. It's a, it's a tiny place. Now, metropolitan Jerusalem has spread out, and it's, it's very large. But the old city is small. The millennial Jerusalem is going to be a little bit bigger than the current Jerusalem. This is the millennial Jerusalem that's being mentioned. So let's try and figure out how big it's going to be. So it says from Gareb to Goath. How big is that? Um, in verse 40, and the whole valley of the dead bodies. And it goes on to talk about what's going to happen in that day. So look at uh, Ezekiel chapter 48 in verse 35. This is where we get the dimensions. In verse 30, he starts describing this city. Uh, so verse 30, and these are the goings out of the city on the north side, 4,500 measures. And then they have gates for three of the, um, uh, the tribes of Israel. And it goes on and describes that. So it's, it's a square. So verse 35, it was round about 18,000 measures. And the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. So the city in the millennium, the name of the city in the millennium will be changed from Jerusalem to the Lord is there. But the size of it is 18,000 measures, 18,000 measures. And by cross-referencing, we know that that's five miles around. So that's not huge, but it's larger than the old city now. So the millennial Jerusalem is going to be that size. And I want to show you something before we I, I talk about the significance of that. Go back to Zechariah with me, and I want you to see something. All right, Zechariah chapter 2. Look at verse 1. I lifted up mine eyes again and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said to me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof, and what is the length thereof? And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth, and another angel went out to meet him, and said unto him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. Verse 5, For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about, and will be the glory in the midst of her. Do you see that? What did we just look at? They're going to change that the name of Jerusalem is going to be changed. The Lord is there. The Lord is there. So here in this millennial temple, 
the Lord will be the glory in the midst of her. The glory in the midst of her. Um, one of the things that happens in this time, this new kingdom is going to be set up, and there's some things that I that I want you to see about it. Go with me to... Um, yeah, go with me to Hosea chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6. All right, look at Hosea chapter 6 and look at verse 1. So what this is... At the end of the tribulation period, Jesus Christ returns to the earth. So before the tribulation happens, you have the rapture. And the rapture of the church, all the believers in the world are taken out. And then God judges the earth for seven years. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. And there are some things that happen in those seven years. At the end of those seven years... All of the Jews that are left turn to God, and all of Israel is saved. So look at Hosea chapter 6 and verse 1. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn, and he will heal us. Do you think maybe the Lord has torn Israel during the tribulation? Yeah. He has torn, for he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us. In the third day, he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. So remember what the Bible says in 2 Peter 3 a, that a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. So if you do the math, around 2,800 years after this prophecy, what God is going to do is he's going to reestablish Israel. So what happened 2,800 years after this prophecy? God reestablished Israel. And so now that Israel is a nation again, God is going to be drawing people back into that nation. And look at what it says in verse... Um, so in the third day, middle of verse 2, in the third day, He will raise us up and we shall live in His sight. Now, there's something really fun right there. Now, how many of you know what I'm going to talk about right now? What's in that verse that's a key phrase that will always tell you something. Third day. Whenever you see the third day, look for death and resurrection. So Israel was not a nation, and on the third day, it is a nation. So whenever you see the third day, there's some kind of reference. Always look for some kind of reference to death and resurrection. All right, so on the third day, we shall live in His sight. Then, verse 3, Shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord? His going forth is prepared as the morning, and He shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. As the latter and former rain unto the earth. So this is the latter and former rain. Now, how many of you know people that are involved in charismatic churches? Any of you know anybody that's involved in that? And so what they call the former rain they would call the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. All right, that's the former reign. The latter reign was when the Holy Spirit came again at the Azusa Street Revival when the Pentecostal Awakening happened. 
So that would be the former reign, the latter reign, and the charismatic movement. Um, but let's see if that's what the Bible is talking about. Let's see if we can figure this out. The latter reign and the former reign. So the Bible says in verse 3, Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning. He shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. Now let me point a couple of things out. So his going forth is prepared as the morning. So remember what's going to happen in the morning? The sun of righteousness is going to rise with healing in his wings. Malachi chapter 4, that sun of righteousness is going to rise with healing in his wings. That's the beginning of the kingdom. That's the beginning of the millennium. So that's our time frame for this. Go to Joel chapter 2, just the next book over. Joel chapter 2. And look at verse 23. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain. What does it say? So how in the world could the former rain be Pentecost and the latter rain be Azusa Street if the Bible says it's going to happen in the same month. So let's trace through the scriptures how we know when this is going to be. So you have the former rain and the latter rain. It's going to happen in the same month. Go to the book of James, chapter 5. James, chapter 5, look at verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. All right, now there's something that's very important for you to see here. Remember where the, the time frame that's being spoken of in the book of James. All right, so look at James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Now, we are not of the 12 tribes scattered abroad. We're not Jewish. We're not Jewish believers. We're Gentiles. And even if you are a saved Jew today, so I, I would have some Jewish blood in me. So even if we are saved Jews, and it's just a very small amount, I'm mostly German and Irish, which explains the temper. In the church, we're neither Jew nor Greek. We're neither bond nor free. We're one in Christ. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. So this book was written to Jewish believers living in the shadow of the temple, just like the book of Hebrews was written. So there's a lot that we learn for today from this book, but it's going to have special significance for Jews who have turned to Christ during the tribulation period. Um, and look at verse 2. We'll see if this helps us to understand it. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Is that going to describe the tribulation? There's so many aspects of tribulation and trouble in the book of James. So now go to chapter 5 and look at verse 7 again. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. There's another thing. The coming of the Lord when he comes to the earth, the second coming, that is 
when he sets foot on the earth to establish his kingdom. The rapture is when we meet him in the clouds. So this is his coming. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Oh, let me, uh, one more thing. When you see that patience, you see it often. Patience is enduring tribulation. Patience is enduring tribulation all through the scriptures. And so that's in our context again. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. So what do you think the fruit of the earth is? Let me help you. It's the fruit of the earth. Why is the husbandman waiting for the fruit of the earth? And hath long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. What do you have to have to grow crops? Rain. What do you have to do to produce the fruit of the earth? You have to have rain. People get so mystical with all of this stuff. All right? Verse 8. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. So what happens in the tribulation period? Well, keep your place here in James. Go to Revelation chapter 11 and verse 6. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 6. So this is talking about the two witnesses in the tribulation. And, and those two witnesses, witnesses are Moses and Elijah. We know that they're Moses and Elijah because Jesus met with them on the Mount of Transfiguration, talking about the decease which he would accomplish and making plans for the future. And so when you look at verse 6, these have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. So Moses and Elijah, what did Elijah do? Elijah stopped the rain for how long? Three and a half years. What did Moses do? Moses brought plagues to the earth. Turn the rivers to blood. To, to, so this is predicting what Moses and Elijah have already done. They're going to do again in the tribulation. Go back to James chapter 5. And let's see if that's what the latter rain, the former and latter rain is talking about. So in the tribulation, they stop the rain. And remember what happens. A third of the trees are burned up, all the green grass. We've talked about that many times. Revelation chapter 6, Revelation chapters 8 and 9. All right, so look at, we're back in James chapter 5. Now look at verse 17. Elias was a man subject, that's the, the Greek pronunciation of Elijah. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. So I wonder, middle of verse 7, Behold, the husband waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. How could anyone possibly know what that is? Because verses 17 and 18 tell us exactly what it is. So when Israel turns back to the Lord, God has judged the earth 
and now the earth needs to be healed. And one of the things that happened was he stopped the rain. The seas were poisoned and the waters are poisoned. There's that star that falls from heaven called wormwood and it makes the waters bitter. All of that happens. So at the end of the tribulation period, God brings the former and latter rain in the first month of the kingdom. That's what this passage is talking about. So let's see how it is that people misunderstand the Bible. How could someone take this latter and former rain and make it something that it's not? Go with me first to Ezekiel chapter 34. Look at verse 25. And so Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 25. And I will make with them a covenant of peace and will cause the evil beasts to cease out of the land and they shall dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. So remember, he's going to establish his city without walls. The cattle's going to dwell among them. It's all going to be safe. All right. That's, that's what's going to happen. When does that happen? At the end of the tribulation. How do we know that's when he makes the evil beast to cease? Because Revelation chapter 6, he kills them with beasts and with sword and with pestilence and with disease and with all those things. So he's healing the land. Then look at verse 26. And I will make them and the places round about my hill. Now remember, that's the hill of Zion. Where's the hill of Zion? It's in Jerusalem. I'll make the places round about my hill a blessing and will cause the shower to come down in his season. There shall be showers of blessing. You ever heard that song? There shall be showers of blessing. And people apply that to today, and that's fine. God, he says, see if I will not open the windows of heaven and part a blessing that you'll not be able to receive it. So that's fine. But the showers of blessing, this is actual. Do you know what these showers of blessing are? Showers of blessing. That's what they are. So God, after all of the devastation of the tribulation, he's going to cause it to rain again, the former rain and the latter rain. So let me show you why the confusion comes and how this ties into the establishing of Israel again or of Jerusalem again. Look at Acts chapter 2. One of the, the reasons that people misunderstand the Scriptures, there, there are several. We've covered one of them many times, but I need to say it again. Most people believe the New Testament begins with Matthew 1, 1. But Jesus said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. When Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross, that's where the New Testament began. In Hebrews chapter 9, the Bible says that a testament is not a force while the testator liveth. So the New Testament couldn't begin until Jesus Christ died. And so that causes a lot of confusion because when the, the apostles were preaching and, and in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they were traveling preaching before the death, burial, and resurrection, they were announcing the kingdom of heaven. They were announcing that the king was here to establish his kingdom. And there's something that's really fascinating. 
the Old Testament prophets almost never talk about eternity. It's a fascinating thing. As you read your Bible, consider that. They almost never talk about eternity. They talk about the earth. They talk about the land. They talk about the kingdom with the Messiah ruling and reigning. That's what they talk about. That's as far as they could see. Because all of those concepts of heaven and, and the rapture and us going up there, that's all New Testament. The church is not mentioned in the Old Testament. The, the age that we're living in is a parenthesis in Old Testament prophecy that's not dealt with. So all of these prophecies deal with the kingdom and with the millennium and with the Jews. So when Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, he walks the earth, he preaches, and then he ascends to heaven, and he tells his disciples in Luke 24 and also in, in Acts chapter 1, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then he sends them the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. If you look with me in verse 17, it says this, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. All right? And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. It's interesting. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, how many of you can see it's obvious what that's talking about? tribulation period is going to come. At the end of the tribulation period, they're going to call in the name of the Lord and they're going to be saved. That's Zechariah chapter 13. That's Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 that we looked at, you know, at the beginning of the sermon that was supposed to be the beginning of the Bible study tonight. All right. So why do charismatics call this event the latter rain? The I'm sorry, the former rain and the other be the latter rain. Because, look at verse 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. What did Joel prophesy? Keep your place here. Go back to Joel chapter 2. Look at verse 28. And it shall come to pass, what's that word right there? Afterward, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord. 
And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant who the Lord shall call. Chapter 3, verse 1. For behold, what are those next three words? What are you supposed to look for when you see in those days? Tribulation. When I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I, also, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. And so you have this battle and all of that that takes place. But this is giving us what is going to happen when Jesus Christ returns to the earth and establishes His kingdom and works with Jerusalem. I'm sorry, works with Israel again. So what was happening in Acts chapter 2? God was still making the author offer of the kingdom to Israel. They still had the opportunity to receive their king, and Jesus would have granted them their kingdom. So we're still in Joel chapter 2. Look at verse 27. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. When is Jesus Christ going to be in the midst of Jerusalem? When are they going to name that city that the Lord is there in the millennium? At the end of the tribulation, Israel turns to Jesus and He says, You're my people. And all of those prophecies happen. Go back to Acts chapter 2. So, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, and now, if you look at verse 17 again, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon, what are those next two words? All flesh. Let's see if the former reign was Pentecost. So, this is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Look at verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So who are the all there? That's the church. That's that church at Jerusalem that was gathered together. They've been waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit happens. The Holy Ghost falls on them and they speak with other tongues. Verse 5. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, so notice it's Jews that are, that are observing this. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? So the Holy Spirit didn't fall on all flesh. The Holy Spirit fell on that church. You see? And if through that preaching of Peter and these Galileans, this church, if Israel had received Christ, Jesus would have established the kingdom. Go to Acts chapter 7. This is the sermon of Stephen. 
and he has preached, verse 51, Acts chapter 7, look at verse 51. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your Father did, so do ye. It's a pretty hard sermon. And look at verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. What's repetition in the Bible? God's volume control. Why is he repeating that? Because everywhere else, when you see Jesus after the ascension, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Why is he standing here? This was the last chance for the Jews to respond. Because remember, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus told the disciples, don't go to the Samaritans. Don't go to the Gentiles. Preach only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Matthew chapter uh, 5, verse 10. That's what he tells them to do. Now, or Matthew chapter 10 and verse 5, I'm sorry. Now what he's telling them to do, look at chapter 8. Remember uh, Acts 1.8, you shall be witness of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and uttermost parts of the earth. Acts chapter 8, verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. All right, look at verse 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So they were in Jerusalem. Uh, look at verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which is at Jerusalem. So they're at Jerusalem waiting for the Holy Spirit. Stephen preaches. Jesus is standing. They refuse the message. Next thing you know, they're scattered. They go to from Jerusalem and they're scattered into the regions of Judea and then Samaria. And then Philip goes in verse 5 and preaches in Samaria, Acts chapter 8. And look at verse 27. And he arose and went and said, Behold, a man of Ethiopia and eunuch. All right. So he preaches to the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch goes back to Ethiopia. What is Ethiopia? Look at Matthew chapter 12. Verse 42. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth. She's from Ethiopia. That's where she was from. So you have going from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth after Acts chapter 7. That didn't happen until, uh, uh, didn't happen until Acts chapter 8. So what I want you to see is that in Acts chapter 2, they could, that could have been everything that was prophesied in Joel. But they rejected Christ. They rejected the Messiah. And then the church age begins... And now we have uh, Israel is blinded until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. All right, let me just show you a couple of more things and then we'll be done. We looked at um, Jeremiah 31 and then we went to Ezekiel 48. 
So Jeremiah 31, and I'll just review this real quickly to get our minds back around it. So Jeremiah 31 and verse 38, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the city shall be built to the Lord from the tower of Hananiel unto the gate of the corner, and the measuring line shall go yet shall yet go forth over against it upon the hill Garib, and shall come past south to Goath. All right? So that's that city. The measurements, we saw that the measurements of that city are, it's about 5,000 miles around. Let's compare that to the New Jerusalem. Go to Revelation chapter 21. Sorry about the confusion in this message. Revelation chapter 21, look at verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. The reason there's no more sea is, just briefly, where the seas came from was the destruction of the earth in Genesis chapter 1. So, when you see the seas, there's all kinds of judgment. And remember then God destroyed the world. I'm trying not to get into to follow a rabbit trail too far. So Genesis chapter 1. Shall we just do the rabbit trail real quick? <laughs> Genesis chapter 1. Keep your place in Revelation. We're going to go from generations to revolutions. All right. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit moved upon the face of the waters. Many people believe that God created the earth, and then the earth was destroyed, and that's when Satan was cast down to the earth, all of those things that took place. And the judgment of the world was when it was overflowed with water. And so when the Bible talks about that later on, and it's dealing with this judgment here, and so then when God created the heavens and the earth, everything that we have today, the earth is still mostly covered with water, right? Today. So now we go to Revelation chapter 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. Why? Because God, at the end of the flood, the, the flood of Noah, God said, I will never destroy the earth again with a flood. So what does he do? He destroys it with the opposite. He holds the water back. So in the tribulation, it doesn't rain for three and a half years. And so he'd, imagine what it would be like if there was no rain on the whole earth for three and a half years, what would happen? And so when God reestablishes it all and recreates the world in the millennium, at the end of the millennium, there's a problem. There's a temple in the millennium. Jesus Christ is sitting on his throne in the holy place in the temple. Why is there a temple in the millennium? Because there's sin in the millennium. That's why there's a temple. The Bible talks about how let us go up to Jerusalem and let us make sacrifice in the temple. Why are they making sacrifice? Because those people who come through the judgment of the nations into the kingdom, they're not us. We're saved. We have new bodies. We're not sinning. And we judge people in the millennium because they are sinners. And we're not. We're going to rule and reign. We'll judge those on the earth is what the Bible says. So when we're doing that, Jesus is ruling with a rod of iron 
And there's sin in that new kingdom, that millennium. There is sin there. And so keep your place in Revelation 21. Go to Hebrews 12. Verse 25. Hebrews 12, 25. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more. I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Why is God going to shake the world? Because there's sin in it. And so he is going to destroy it. Look at Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we look to his promise, we, we according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. See, the Bible tells us, keep your place here and go to, um, you don't have to keep your place there, but go to Revelation chapter 12. Look at verse 10. Revelation 12 and verse 10, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Somehow Satan goes back and forth to heaven. Remember in Job, where have you been? I've been going to and fro in the earth. He comes and appears before God in heaven. Why are the heavens shaken? Why does there need to be a new heaven? Because Satan has been there. There's been sin in heaven. And so there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Go to Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah 65, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. Why does he do that? Because there needs to be righteousness in the earth. Go to Isaiah 34. Remember, there's a temple in the kingdom because sacrifices are made. Sin is there. All right? Look at verse 4. Isaiah 34 and verse 4. And all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falleth from the vine and as a falling fig from the fig tree. So the heaven's going to be dissolved. We saw that in Second Peter. That it's all going to be rolled together as a scroll. That it happens partially in Revelation chapter 6. It happens ultimately here. 
So when Jesus Christ returns, this is such an amazing thing. When Jesus Christ returns to the earth and he makes war with these spiritual bodies, look at what it says in verse 5. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Behold, it shall come down upon Idumea and upon the people of my curse to the judgment. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. All right, so God makes war with the nations on earth. This is verse 1. Come ye, come near ye nations to hear and hearken. Verse 2, for the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations. This is the judgment of the nations. This is spoken of in Matthew chapter 25. And as he comes down to make war with the nations, he makes war with all these fallen angels, these, the prince of the power of the air, all of this that's going on. He wets his sword in the heavens first. So when we go back to um, Revelation 21, God has shaken the world and he's made a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21, he's having to do that because there's unrighteousness there, even in the kingdom, even in the millennium. Revelation 21, look at verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city. What are those next two words? New Jerusalem. How do we know that the new Jerusalem is different from the millennial Jerusalem that's being spoken of in Zechariah chapter 2? How do we know it's different? Okay, so Revelation 21, 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven. And it talks about that. Go to verse 12. And had a great wall. And high, and 12 gates. The millennial Jerusalem doesn't have a wall. The new Jerusalem has a wall. So this is a different Jerusalem than the millennial Jerusalem. You see that in verse 12? Let's look at how big it is. Look at verse 15. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof. And the city lieth four square... And the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. How big is that? That's 1,500 miles wide. That's 1,500 miles high. Can you imagine that? And the Bible says it comes down out of heaven. Just picture this. A 1,500 mile city. That's from Pittsburgh to Denver. That's from Miami to Montreal. That's how big that city is. Picture it coming down into the Holy Land. <laughs> That's the city coming down. And look at verse 22. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. No more sacrifices, no more sin, because righteousness dwells there. Verse 23. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them, now look at what it says, which are saved, shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. 
And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. See, everyone that enters into the millennium, they still have to get saved. If they, Those who come through the judgment of the nations, remember that all the saved people were taken out at the rapture. Everyone that's in the kingdom, you're going to live for a long time. A person dies at 100 years old, it's going to be like they were a baby, the Bible says. And people will live the whole length of the time because of the way that God has taken care of sickness and disease and all of that. He's going to heal the land. But ultimately, people still have to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. So who is going to live in this new Jerusalem? Everybody that's been a part, had a part in the first resurrection. That's who's going to be there and those whose names are written in the book of life. What happens to those people whose names aren't written in the book of life? In the Lamb's book of life. All right. Let's look at uh, verse 12. I'm sorry, chapter 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the, in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell were delivered up, the, uh, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And then we have the new heaven and the earth come down. So there are three Jerusalems. There's the Jerusalem that now is. There is the millennial Jerusalem that will come because all of that's going to be destroyed again during the tribulation period. And then there's the new Jerusalem, which will come down wherein dwelleth righteousness. Isn't that a blessing? All right. That's all I've got for you tonight. Let's have our ushers come forward. We're going to take our offering.